0: Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned, discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit learner.co. That's learner with two L's.co.
1: Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today, we have Joseph Fung. He's the founder and CEO of Yuvaro. They're actually doing some really innovative stuff around sales training. Any thoughts, you guys?
2: Yeah. Uh, it sounds like Uvaro is doing some really interesting things. Um, it's it's an education platform, which we're always interested in. And it's specifically for sales training. And, uh, it looks and it seems to be mostly for tech sales as well where they're and they're they're also helping as well with the matchmaking which is which is really interesting where they're they're not just providing the education but it looks like they're also introducing pro, um, possible sales to organizations totally. and training them
0: yeah i i'm fascinated about this because it's a topic kind of near and dear to my heart, the the idea of, of sales when I was going through business school in university, I took a long time to do it because I started a company. But when I first started in business school, uh, there were no sales courses at all in the school that I was in. And uh, and over the course of time, they would have this feedback thing at the end of the year. And I would always say, we need to have sales courses. We need to have sales courses because I was in the program for that long. And then finally they did have it. And it's this thing that has been, it was sort of long ignored, I think, within within education within business was teaching about sales and, and that kind of influence and so on. And it's so essential to, to work, whether you're actually the salesperson or whether you're actually just pitching ideas internally there's a pretty constant need to influence someone else to yeah. come to a decision. And so it's really valuable work. And I think that's really cool and interesting. And also I, I'm i interested, I always love hearing from people who have experience overseas, um, you know, what they kind of learn about their, about home when you go overseas. That's one of the things I always notice too, is people who have spent time overseas um, they always come back kind of having some realizations about the place that they live so curious about that too just the kind of learning that's going on there
1: yeah i think the interesting thing I, and i joked with him last time i talked to him was like this is the training that i need like well i've always kind of needed and, and still need even though i'm not a sales guy i think mm-hmm. even just taking it would be actually really fascinating and i would learn a ton and i think like you're always selling yourself or something, right? Even if you're not a salesperson, but you're especially in startups, you're talking to people, you're always kind of even, even just like soft selling, right? Or you're not even trying to yeah. get the person to buy something, but you're constantly talking to them about what you're trying to do and just articulating and communicating that better. I think selfishly that would really help me.
2: <laughs> yeah. It'd be also interesting to see how um, during how their business has changed from say 2019 till, till now with the, with everybody changing where they were working from. And I'd be interested to hear yeah. how that affected their business.
0: Yeah, that would be fascinating. And, you know, I'm still, I'm still curious if maybe it's all just Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, actually, Oh, here's another thing to, to consider too, is that I've, uh, another sort of mind that has gone from being a computer or engineering kind of focused person to something other than that. And so I love to see where, where those parallels came or how that whole transition happened. So I hope you get to ask about that too, Kevin.
1: Cool. Well, I guess i with the show. Welcome back to the learner.co show today. We have Joseph Fung. He's the founder and CEO of Uvaro Joseph. Welcome to the show hey thanks kevin thanks for having me on yeah i'm excited to have you on i i think i was i'm fascinated by what you guys are doing at uvaro but maybe before we get into that let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up
3: oh for sure i grew up in the kind of toronto and then north of toronto area so anyone that's in the area knows Uh, you know, my stomping grounds, like in York region, Newmarket and all that kind of stuff, but in and around Toronto has
1: been the the kind of anchor for, for my, my life. Sure. So you went to the university of Waterloo. What did you take and why? Uh,
3: computer engineering. And honestly, uh, the, why is probably the worst answer. Literally I picked the hardest programs to get into. (laughs) It is not the best way to choose your direction, but it's like the entry requirements are difficult. I'll show you.
1: Okay. Interesting. So you, were you doing any computer programming whatsoever before you actually took the program?
3: No, I was, but again, that was by accident. I, uh, I was supposed to take, I, I was enrolled in a business program during high school and you know, on day one, the, the people that were in the class and the way it ran, I realized, oh, this, this wasn't actually going to be as, as difficult or challenging as I really want. So I left and switched and the only other class there was computer. So It's terrible, but I feel like I stumbled into a software career. (laughs)
1: That's amazing. So I'm curious, then you you get out of school, you go and teach English in Mm. in China. I'm curious, what did you learn and get from actually teaching overseas that you were able to bring back to Canada and, and have used to, to, to this day?
3: So, kevin, you're you're uncovering all of my terrible academic past, <laughs> which is funny, considering i'm I'm running a training institution now. Don't uh, worry,
1: it's good. Yeah,
3: I, so I actually I took off to China uh, after second year university because i I was angry at the school, and as all young, angry That's people funny. do, <laughs> to do something new. So I took off to China um, more as a kind of almost like a flip of the middle finger to to the University of Waterloo at the time.
0: Uh, <laughs>
3: I know, amazing. amazing. I, I'm glad I came back. I finished the degree. It's all good. Uh, but I loved it. It was such a great learning opportunity. Um, I mean, learning the language is always good. Learning another culture is great. But it really helped me appreciate how uh, how different approaches to solve problems are okay. Uh, the Chinese education system was just so different than ours, and getting a chance to see it firsthand and participate and engage in it really helped me realize. How much i appreciate what we have here but also just wow there are totally different ways to solve the same problem and i'm really glad i learned it then uh it was a really helpful him a reference for all my future work
1: interesting okay so walk us through your journey maybe some highlights along the way up until coming up with the idea and uh starting uvaro
3: sure um i mean the, the LinkedIn version, uh, you know, TLDR for tech companies, uh, you know, founded, some sold, some closed, uh, it got better at that each time. Um, uh, the, the kind of steel cable that you know, runs through all of those is my co-founders. And I, we started our first company cause we wanted to build a great place for people to work. Like I was on a co-op job and they had a new president coming in and I was like, great, I'm going to meet a new president. You know, everybody else was scared. He was going to close the plant. Uh, that, that sucked. So. Yeah, built a bunch of software companies, but always wanted to help people have a great place to work. And the real genesis for Uvaro really came from that desire. How do we build and how do we, how do we build great places to work and how do we give people the opportunity to find their best work? And, and that's really why we started it.
1: Interesting. So how did you come up and figure out that that was really important to a company's success as you were building these companies?
3: So we started when we founded the companies, it was actually less about helping other companies and it was just about having a company we could be proud of like,
0: okay,
3: yeah, I wanted to have a place where my friends and, and my family, the people I knew would be proud to work at and that led to a lot of success with my business and, and then I started to realize it was a sustainable differentiator and that if we could help others do the same thing that we'd help a ton of other companies too. So yeah, I think more of realizing what we valued and cared about actually really applied to others too. And then we thought we could share that.
1: Interesting. Okay. So walk us through what exactly is Yuvaro and what made you actually decide to build it?
3: Yeah. So Yuvaro uh, is a career success platform. Uh, we help people launch and then grow careers in tech. And we do that primarily through the sales side of the organization. So, uh, people will come to us take our uh, career training, get paired with the companies that we work with and then work with our coaching teams to grow their careers. Uh, and so what that looks like is somebody might come out of like hospitality or tourism. Maybe they were a bartender or a flight attendant or you know, we're selling cell phones. They go through our classes. They land a job at a, a fast growing SaaS company. They're earning more money and they get promoted faster as they continue to work with our services. So yeah, we. We care about helping people lead successful careers. And that's who we work with. Interesting.
1: So I don't know why it never dawned on me until probably my mid to late thirties that you're always kind of selling yourself, even, even just Mm. when you're out with like your friends or family, even if you're not selling like a physical product or service, you're always kind of selling. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts around that?
3: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, so, uh, when we think about the the details and the core skills of sales you know discovery questions how do you uncover new information how do you share and convince people with information you're sharing um that applies everywhere the problem is that everyone has this conception and and kevin maybe you've got like when you think about salesperson the idea that comes to mind you know people think about like some kind of slimy jerk that's going to shove something on me that i don't need and that's what prevents people from i think really looking critically at the skills we've got these stereotypes and that sucks and I like that we get to overcome it, but yeah, I, I don't know. What comes to your mind when you think about a sales
1: professional? Uh, I, I think it depends on vertical. Like if you would have said wow. car salesman, it usually comes with a negative connotation. I think if it's somebody in software, if if I'm targeted properly, it's actually worked on me before. I'm like, you know what? That's actually really good. That's going to save me X amount of time or or whatever it is. Then I'm more open to it the like spammy things that you get on linkedin that say you know whatever and they have no idea about me or or what i'm even doing or they're trying to sell me something that's clearly has nothing to do with me and they did no research i think then it's kind of more like you feel like a spammer it's negative but I think, de- I think it's depending on context for a long-winded version <laughs> to your question.
3: I think context is right. But I mean, you've got that ear of almost like a professional buyer. I mean, you're thinking about it critically. One of our students, I think, uh, characterized it in a way that I think a lot of people do. He he came in and he's like, how do I get a title that'll look better on my Tinder profile? That won't scare people away. <laughs> that Interesting. Idea. I know, I know. I mean, I don't know if we helped him you know, get a better date or not, but just that idea of something that doesn't, trigger a knee-jerk reaction, I think it's a really compelling thing. Cause I think that's what people worry about when they think about sales. And when we show them what it's like to be a sales professional in a software company, it's this huge aha moment. Like what? I, I don't have to lie. I don't have to push a lousy product. Like, I just uncover problems and solve them. Like, wow. It's such an empowering thing, empowering thing for people.
1: Totally. So let's dive a little bit deeper is. So how has you borrow different, uh, than the traditional kind of jam it in your face until you buy this thing
3: for sure i mean uh, the reality is most technology sales most software sales are not that Uh, they they really aren't it's about finding someone that has a real problem that you actually solve and if you're chatting with someone and they don't have a problem you gotta end the conversation if you can't solve it you gotta end the conversation so right i don't think it's about uvaro that's more about the tech industry i think what's different about uvaro is that we help people practice how to do that. We don't just give them the job title and shove them in the deep end, which is how most tech companies hire. And then they they hire ten people and fire five. And and I don't think that's appropriate. So it, more we give people a safe space to learn and experiment before they're put into the uh, that kind of you know front of the line uh, role.
1: Okay. So what types of things do people actually learn to make them a successful software salesperson?
3: I mean, a really big one, it sounds, sounds really soft and fluffy is how to empathize. Okay. interesting. I, I, I'm sure you've been in this situation and I'm sure listeners have too, where, uh, you know, a sales rep asks you a question about like, what do you need or what do you want? Or what are you experiencing? And you give an answer and they just jump to the next thing and you know, they haven't heard you. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're just trying to move it forward and like, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Next thing that. Is a really good example of a poor sales process, and that doesn't work in tech sales. So, helping people actually active listen, reflect back, and then imagine. Oh, if you're experiencing that pain, what's it like? Uh, to give an example, we were on a sales call, and one of the things we asked uh, the the customer we're talking to was, "Oh, well, if you if you miss that sales target, you know how how's that going to feel to you and the business?" Uh, and her language was, "Oh, yeah, my my fingers on the chopping block." Uh, like this very visible, visceral reaction. Like she felt like she was going to lose a digit if she missed this target and taking the time to actually pause and internalize, oh, that's what she's feeling. How do I keep her from losing a finger? I'm not trying to sell a product. I'm trying to help keep her hand intact. That's, that's a core skill that's learnable. And so many people don't exercise in the workplace.
1: Interesting. So. How does Uvaro go and teach people kind of the new way to actually sell?
3: Yeah, it's and part of it is bringing in amazing instructors. So we bring in amazing sales leaders, uh, amazing professional instructors, people that are in the field succeeding and give real world examples to emulate. Uh, But then the part that's really critical is you, you can't do this just by watching videos, you know, it's like. You can't learn to play the piano just by reading the notes. You have to actually practice. Yeah. Uh, We create a safe place to practice and to fail. So we're on Zoom calls, hangouts all the time, letting people try pitches, cold calls, getting comfortable with those. Because if you don't have a safe practice space, you never learn to to actually do the motion. It's all just theory.
1: Okay. So what types of stuff, do you teach people then? And is there any resources that our listeners could maybe check out to like dive a little bit deeper?
3: Totally. Uh, so at a high level, I mean our curriculum that for context, because people will hear this and and it might be overwhelming. Our standard program is two hours a day, five days a week for 12 weeks. So there's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we've cut to the full gamut from prospecting discovery, social selling, uh, objection, handling demos, uh, s- different sales methodologies. Um, how do you do research and build an opinion on an industry? Uh, and we cap it all off with this demo day competition so that people come in and they actually have to do a 15 minute sales pitch on a product they've never sold to a customer they've never met wow. and they have to demo the product at the same time, it's a crucible, but they come out with these exceptional skills uh, and it sounds overwhelming, but um, I mean, Hey, we've got a bunch of free resources, like ondemanduvarocom has got a bunch of free videos. We push a bunch of it to YouTube, but if people want a, like a book or something, a, a great starting point is something like uh, triangle selling from the team at Close Loop. Um Okay. Interesting. Great little mini frameworks. Um, you could bite off a chapter at a time and learn something really valuable. And so it's a, a nice way to, to kind of build some of those skills, uh, and it's one of the books we reference in our course a lot. So uh, happy to, to kind of tip the hat to them.
1: No, that's very cool. So the other fascinating thing to me when I learned about Uvaro is it's there's no upfront cost. Do you want to talk about how you guys monetize and actually get paid for the training that you guys are offering?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm I'm a true I'm a true believer that. Getting paid for your product is a great way to prove that it's solving a problem. Uh, so yeah, people can enroll and they can pay right away. Uh, so that's totally the option. Happy to take money. Uh, but we, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody once said like the best uh, a founder's job or a CEO's job, like their primary job is to uh, to cash the check. You know, bring the money in. So yeah. uh, I got to make sure I do that and, and kind of stamp that one. Um, but we we created Juvar to build great places to work and make these jobs more accessible to people. Like. There's huge segments of our economy who are underemployed. We make it really hard for immigrants, for uh, folks who are challenged by so many barriers, and so we wanted to make it as accessible as possible. So we took our standard membership plan and we turned it into an employment-linked vehicle. So if someone's enrolling, yeah, they can, they can pay as a lump sum. just like pay for the course. Uh, they can also pay on a 24 month payment plan, uh, but. The part that's really fun and two thirds of our customers take advantage of this, they can pay on an employment linked uh, membership. So only once they land a job that crosses a a localized uh, income threshold, only then would they pay for tuition and even then it's tied to their base salary. So for a sales rep, they get that predictability of the fees but they don't actually have to start paying until they actually have gainful employment. And for so many, that's such a big challenge It makes this kind of program so much more accessible.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, for anybody really, right. No matter how well off you are or aren't. Right.
3: Totally. Uh, I mean, the reality is we do have a third of our members who come in and start paying right away because maybe they're, they're in a position where it's not going to hit their bank account that badly, or they just know where they want to take their career. But there's a lot of folks who come in and they're uncertain about where they want to go or they're currently unemployed or they're fractionally employed. And so for, for that situation, that's generally when folks are leaning into it. Um, but we have a lot of people who, who use our program to say, go from like an account executive into like sales engineering or to customer success, or someone who's an SDR and wants to be an account executive. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of folks who come in and want to level up their career, not just kind of newcomers to the industry.
1: Sure. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff that you actually teach and mm-hmm. then how you actually transition and help them get into a sales career.
3: For sure. Um, thinking a little bit about what we're teaching. Let me give you one that I think is going to be helpful. One of the things that, uh, so for backstory, how we launched Yuvaro, we actually started the company as a software company first. And we have a platform that sales teams use to run their sales playbooks. Uh, okay. I, I start there because that's where we get a lot of our data. Like we right. know what our sales reps using when they're actually on sales calls, what are they doing? Uh, one of the things they're often looking for is customer stories. Sure. Hmm. That makes sense. You talk to a rep, yep. you, you wanna know who else is bought. Um, most companies do a terrible job at this. They build case studies and they're on the website and the sales rep doesn't know them uh one of the modules that we have is we dig into telling really effective and shareable customer stories and so we highlight a couple of things uh and i mean this stuff we covered in a couple of hours and i'm going to condense it but things like consider the hero's journey who's the hero of the story so many people tell a story about how they helped a customer making them the hero that's terrible you want the customer to feel like the hero you're just that advisor who's helping them out like they're the luke skywalker you're just yoda helping them out Uh, interesting so we talk a lot about that hero framework Uh, we talk a lot about how do you edit your story to be one or two sentences so that it's memorable and shareable uh, so that you can spread it with others as a case study you can't memorize a one or two sentence story you can um and the last one this is the part that i think this is the example of like these are tactical tips that people don't think about is making your story searchable um a really good example uh you've probably seen this yeah you've got a sales team customer on the phone says hey do you have a, a customer just like me and the rep is going yeah we have a lot of customers like you and in the back of their head they're flipping through their stories trying to remember. <laughs> yeah um, everybody has that and they probably have like a google doc or a notion board or maybe they're using kite uh, put in your stories the words you're going to search for in a minute um, a good example one of the companies we worked with they sold to a number of cannabis producers. And so their story had cannabis and pharmaceuticals in it, and no one could ever find it. Because in in the moment, the customer said, hey, do you have any other weed companies that you've worked
2: with? (laughs) And so they
3: they tweaked the story to highlight and, and talk about weed so that it was more searchable. And it sounds so silly, but you gotta design these things so that a sales rep can use it, not just so that a marketing team feels good about putting it on their website. So, I mean, that idea of really good customer stories is one example of the so many things we cover in our curriculum.
1: Interesting. So how did you make the connection between customer story and, and kind of that hero's journey?
3: So this is a good example of where the high level concepts, I wish it was our genius. It really is the, the myriad of sales trainers and consultants that we work with and best practices in the industry, uh, I think where the real magic came from was more us identifying that customer stories specifically are actually the second most searched thing by sales reps when they're in the middle of sales calls. Interesting. Yeah. Most sales training programs, they gloss over customer stories. They say, hey, have good reference customers. Your marketing team can help you with that.
1: Okay. But why do you think the customer story has been kind of lost on traditional kind of sales teams, then
3: um, the problem and this is actually part of a much bigger problem. Most companies have not invested in any kind of structured training. Uh, instead, they lean on uh, kind of organic and, uh, and kind of storytelling. In order to train, you know, they say things like, Hey, Kevin, welcome to the team, we're going to sit you down beside Greg, do what Greg does. And, uh, okay, it, in that case, Greg just tells you what he's been doing. He doesn't actually know, like objectively, what's the best thing to do. And so you go to these organizations and you someone know, someone's working at Oracle or Salesforce, and they're like, oh yeah, we've got all these data sheets. Make sure you have a data sheet. And then that sales rep goes, oh, I guess when a customer asks for a story, I need to have a good you know, case study on a data sheet. It's two pages and it's a PDF that I can send them. And they just assume that's what a best practice is. And no one actually looks at the data and trains their people on what's best. That's a perfect example. You could go to every marketing team and you could ask them, Hey, who has recently been asked for a new data sheet or a white paper? Everyone will raise their hand. But then if you go to the same sales teams and you say, Hey, how many of you closed a deal recently because of a kick-ass white paper or data sheet? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fair. It is. It, It, I mean, I'm being glib and I'm being simple, but it actually really is that so many sales teams their training distills down into someone's closing a lot of deals. They don't know exactly why. And so they just try and get everyone to copy them. And unfortunately, that's just not the best way to consistently, periodically improve, and we're lucky in that we've got a big pool of data and we've got a ton of reps that we can evaluate. And so that helps us improve that curriculum every single time we launch a class.
1: Interesting. Well, and then too, like, obviously my sales style would be different than Greg's or whoever else's right in your example, or potentially different.
3: That's it. That's exactly it. And, and so sales teams then start trying to hire in the way they fit that.
1: Like, we
3: we see this uh, every day. I get a VP of sales who reaches out to me and says, Hey, I need to, I need a couple of AEs or SDRs. Can you help me out? And know nine times out of ten when we ask them about their hiring process they say oh yeah i've got this great sales rep kevin on my team i'm trying to hire people that that are just like kevin uh and then they give me a demographic description like they play competitive sports at school so they're a team player they're very extroverted so we know that they like people and um we sell to the food services industry and they're a foodie uh and okay (laughs) it's just it's not an objective way to to evaluate or find talent uh And so we're just propagating it. So as an industry, we need to get better
1: about hiring and training. Sure. No, that makes sense. So how do you pick people to actually take the course and then how do you help them actually get a job once they're done?
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, The selections a really interesting one. So it's a big challenge. Uh, last quarter we received something like 17,000 applications. Uh, Wow. Yeah. So it is the big problem for us. Uh, We use a lot of tools, so we use some great tools like Plum to help assess people's uh, strengths and and natural interests. Uh, We we have some unique data that helps us identify success. So a good example, people think extroversion or persuasion are actually really core skills. We actually found, to my earlier point, empathy is a bigger indicator of uh, sales performance. Uh, So we look for some of those. we have some automated testing and some hurdles, like if people aren't willing to put 20 minutes into an application, they're probably not going to spend the time for our 12 week course, uh, Fair things enough. like that, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and the characteristics we look for are things like resilience and grit, cause you need those to succeed in, in sales. And I mean, people who have struggled through this pandemic in hospitality and food services and tourism, I mean, they've overcome so much, uh, there's actually a lot of people who really fit that. So those are. Those are things we look for. Um that's a good second question. Uh and again, that whole like uh secret sauce, the things that are different. A lot of people, when they think I want to find a job in tech, they think to the companies they know, they say, hey, I know Zoom, I know LinkedIn, I know Xbox, I'll apply there. That's a, a good way to send 50 resumes and be ignored. Um sure. we spend a lot of time helping our members target the company stage and type and selling motion. That works well to their interests like you know what if if you like talking to a new person every single day and talking to 100 different people uh, a small business or a consumer product is going to fit better if if you like developing a really long-term deep relationship a mid-market or an enterprise deal is going to be a better solution for you and i don't get why companies get this wrong they rarely so rarely hire for experience and knowledge about the buyer Uh, and we spent a lot of time people help match uh, helping people match that. Um, a, a good way to think about it is like one of our grads. I love telling you this story because yeah, he's just he's such a representative example. Graduated college, eight years in food services. You know, bartender, okay. bar manager, restaurant manager. Gets laid off due to COVID. Uh, ends up going through our program, landing at a company who sells to restaurants and bars. It's a scheduling tool. No, yeah, and so. He crushes it, you know, no reason he blows through and no surprise that he blows through quota, outperforms his peers who came from LinkedIn, gets promoted, earns way more than he did before. Uh, it's about that alignment. And we spend a lot of time helping people be really targeted in their outreach for where their career is going to take them.
1: Interesting. So has the pandemic really kind of helped and gotten a lot more people interested in becoming? A salesperson then, have you found?
3: I don't know if it's made people want to do
1: it more, uh,
3: but I think it's made more people realize it's possible and doable so that it doesn't seem as daunting.
1: Okay, fair. Well, and I guess it's like, well, if you already have these skills because you've worked in one of these industries that is very transferable, and once you figure that out and you know you can potentially make a lot more money, you're like, well, why wouldn't I try it? Especially when you can go with you don't pay until you find a job option. Right. It's kind of a no brainer.
3: It is. It's a no brainer. And I mean, everybody knows how to do things like use a zoom call now. Yeah. These things feel like, uh, uh, the baseline requirements feel much more attainable to so many more people now.
1: Sure. So do you want to maybe give us some other customer success stories?
3: Absolutely. Always happy to, um, I mentioned Matt's story because of that alignment between uh, kind of his past work and his next work. The parts I think that get me most excited though, are those kind of the stories of the challenges and adversity. Like uh, one of our other uh, members, he was in San Diego at the time uh, working in the trucking industry. Uh, he was an immigrant and because of visa changes, like the political climate, COVID, all of that, right. uh, his visa was, was going to be uh, cancelled. And so wow. he's going to have to leave the country. Yeah. Like wow, talk about terrifying. It's like you're doing this class, you're you're in a different industry, you're going to get kicked out of the country. Um he ended up deciding to try and move to Toronto. So in the middle of the program, moves to a different city. Wow. Lands this amazing role selling uh, AI powered market intelligence tools. Uh does something like 400% of quota in his first month. Wow. Double they doubled his quota on him. Uh, and then he did 300% of the new quota. Uh, so, I mean, he's loving it. He got promoted. Uh, and when you think about, uh, there's, uh, things like communication barriers, uh, he was a newcomer to the country. So there's an accent, uh, his local networks. He doesn't know anybody here. Cause he just, I mean, moved from his home country to the U S then to Canada, uh, wow. no local work experience. Like overcoming those is so rewarding because totally. yeah, it, it, every, every day. We get comments from our members about how you, uh, about how Yuvaro changed their life, saved their lives. Like one of our members wrote a blog post. Like We didn't ask her to do a testimony, she just wrote it. Yuvaro saved my life. And you know what? I, I've done a few software companies, a few businesses that are B two B, and I've never felt so fulfilled working with these incredible people. And I love the fact that we're a small part in their journey.
1: No, I think that's that's really great. So how do you find the companies that are willing to work with your trainees and then potentially decide to hire them after?
3: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really interesting because when we first launched the company, uh, we thought we'd have to do that. Find companies who are willing to take a risk. Okay. Um, I think COVID accelerated a change that was already happening. Uh, more right. more remote selling, more remote staff, and it's quite the, the inverse. Uh, we have way more companies coming to us to hire our grads than we have um so uh, a nice uh, i'd rather have that problem than the other um, yeah
0: fair
3: but we see it right now um our grads are 50% more likely to exceed quota and so they get hired they they crush quota the the company goes how do we hire more people like you and they say hey okay there's this program yuvaro and then they start referring uh, other members and so uh, honestly we don't do any outreach um, we wow. don't do any kind of advertising uh the employers are 100 inbound uh a lot of referral a lot of search um yeah
1: been been really cool that's awesome no congrats on that because obviously if it's working then other software companies they well a lot of them know each other and they're like hey we got this great salesperson or people from this program you know like have had her too right
3: yeah it, that's exactly it uh, and because again our our customer, like our the person that we're holding up is our North Star is the individual sales rep. Uh, sure. We want them to succeed. Sometimes that means making it easy for them to bring people into their company. So we're always happy to make those introductions. Uh, but it also means that we're not, uh, we're not stuck in a position of trying to, like chase recruiting dollars for a company. You know,
1: right. Our
3: job is to refer people who are a good fit, where they'll be happy and successful, because
1: that's what our North Star is. Yeah. I guess and then everybody wins. No, that it makes does. a lot of sense. Yeah. So you've done a bunch of companies, you've, in a bunch of different industries, you've gone through idea to acquisition, you've shut some companies down. Have you, what have you learned outside of your business life that you've been able to maybe apply back into your business life, if anything?
3: It's, it's so funny because in many ways, I think the things I've learned professionally have helped me in my personal life.
1: Interesting. Um, Okay.
3: and i don't want to belabor those but it's you know we see that all the time like you know communications training and work really helped at home you know right. uh, uh on the flip side i suppose i've like all the work around the love languages and relationships has helped me in work um but <laughs> sure I, I think the uh the thing that probably sticks out to me the most about kind of personal learnings applying to work is uh, the things that i learned around our son's birth so uh, our son he's 10 years old But when he was born, he was born extremely early uh, and he has a genetic condition uh, that involves some, uh, some delays in development. Um, Okay. And I I don't say that because it's like, Hey, you know, adversity, tough challenges. Everyone's, everyone's got a challenge. Um, But before he was born and before we went through that, I would have described myself as a very impatient person. Um, Okay. expect people to, to to kind of learn what i'm sharing or hear what i'm putting down or uh you know get it right the first time uh and i would have just said that's me that's who i am and realizing that how patient i was my wife was and how naturally that patience came in that context you know really helped me internalize things like your comment earlier context matters it's like oh i guess that actually means i can be patient i must be I haven't built that skill, or I'm choosing not to be. And that's, that's been really useful to kind of shine a good mirror on myself and not just accept that a, a failing or a bad behavior is me, but maybe something that I've picked
1: up or acquired.
3: And I think that's helped me be a better manager and leader. So I'd point to that.
1: Interesting. So, but how did you be on the lookout or be aware for that. And throughout your career where you're like, okay, I'm doing this one thing. It's probably not one of my better qualities. I want to fix it. And then how do you actually commit to fixing it and keep it ongoing?
3: Oh man, <laughs> you know what? If I had an answer to that, I'd probably be in better shape. And...
1: <laughs>
2: um, Fair
3: enough. It, your first one, I think is a really cool one. I've I've been very fortunate to have very honest mentors. Um, okay. Yeah, like I mean, ones who would tell you those uncomfortable truths. Like,
1: yeah, that's fair. I
3: think I think about the first business that I ran, and I remember one mentor giving me some really candid. I mean, I think about it now, and I cringe listening to it. Uh, All right. He's like, "Your clothes are too big." Okay. Whatever his name he's like Joseph. Your suits, your jacket is just too big. You you look like a kid because you're swimming in it, and. uh, it, it was a classic thing. It's like I bought them kind of off the racket and worse, uh went and got something that fit better and I felt better and my conversations were better. I had more confidence, people listened to me better. I mean, silly little things. Um, similarly, when I was speaking, if I was nervous, I had the habit of touching my face, like you know, rubbing my chin, you know, or scratching the temple, but just you know, a lot of contact. Uh, and same thing the mentor was saying, Hey, you know, when when you're doing that, it conveys a little bit more nervousness. Uh, I mean, I was really young at the time, so he's like, you're more likely to break out, like stupid things like that. Interesting. (laughs) And without that feedback, I don't think I ever would have learned how to look for challenges or gaps or flaws like that.
1: No, I, I think that's really good advice because you want somebody... Or, or maybe many people, ideally, to give you that brutal, honest feedback, and it's not coming from a place to be mean. It's coming from a place to like make you better, and mm-hmm. and only help you out. And I think sometimes that gets lost sometimes on people, in my experience, anyway.
3: That's totally. That's absolutely it. You know, we're we're always so uh, we want to give value and we want to help people improve, but very often we give feedback in the safe areas totally we we don't focus on the areas that are most impactful and that's where i think i valued the mentors that i had early in my career the most
1: do you have any advice for finding a really good mentor
3: man yeah it's it's funny because i've i've been asked that a couple of times how do you find a, a good mentor and i really wish that i had a proven formula i've been very very lucky in uh, so the mentor I just mentioned was intro- actually introduced to me by my mother because I oh, I learned a lot from her. I know she's a great sales professional. Sorry, a great professional. Um, she had somebody that she knew who said I could learn from, and I mean that was a great connection. Um, other mentors and coaches that I've had, uh, I was introduced by investors, and the interesting thing is, the only common factor I could find uh, the best mentors that I've had, I didn't go looking for somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've got this person that I think you could learn from. I'd like to introduce you.
1: Interesting. Okay. That, that's fascinating.
3: I, I think the, uh, uh, I mean, I'm lucky that I've got people who would suggest that to me. Uh, but what I've also seen is I've seen others who had those introductions offered or those recommendations offered, and they didn't act on it or they didn't take it. And so I think I was lucky that I did act. And I've used that as a Kind of a, a mantra for myself when someone's trying to make that kind of an introduction something where they think i can learn from i always run with it because uh, i've i've always been positively surprised
1: interesting so is there any books or podcasts or any other learnings that you've found very useful that you recommend to others throughout your career
3: i mean uh so many if i was going to cherry pick a couple two that are really top of mind for me right now um One of my favorite books uh, and go to is, uh, it's a book called Who, uh, and it's a a very simple framework for hiring. Um, And I always highlight it because most companies and founders and entrepreneurs don't get serious about their people practices and hiring early enough. So like really accessible starting point. Um, And then the other that's top of mind is, uh, I refer to this one a lot, is Leaders Under Fire. it's a it's an allegory, and it's talking about dealing with crisis management, like PR disasters. and I mean, great framework, great lessons. But the big takeaway for me as I was digging into it, was how just simple, small amounts of preparation for areas that don't come up often can just save you so much heartache. And I think that's really helped me as a a leader um, mitigate disasters that would otherwise be surprises. Uh, and that's that's been really helpful. So Leaders Under fire is one of my favorites,
1: interesting. So what do you give us some maybe examples of areas that are maybe overlooked or people should put a little bit of effort in, in case something happens.
3: Yeah. So, uh, the leaders under fire book is specifically around uh, public relations. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, something terrible, like you, you get sued or some of your employees do something terrible. So that book covers there. Um, for me, where I've been really fortunate are things like, uh, With my last company really early on uh, we said hey let's make sure we keep all of our finances and all of our documents just organized so that if we ever want to go public or we want to do something like that we're we're ready like let's just organize ourselves early on because it's easier to start early sure when we got to sell the company and the acquisition happened uh, it was super fast super clean uh, and all the way through the process continually the comments from the acquirer were wow this is it's like the easiest, cleanest deal we've ever done, and we we had an amazing outcome because we didn't have any hair on the deal. It wasn't awkward. Um, things like uh, one of this was for me one of the the more painful ones. Uh, the first customer that we had to give a really large refund to.
0: Um,
3: okay. Earlier in my career, m- one of those mentors uh, that I mentioned to you earlier had suggested ask yourself the tough questions first when you're level headed. Yeah. And i did you know we spent some time just kind of thinking through and talking through you know what would i do as a leader if i found someone stealing from the company or if i found we'd sold a product that just didn't really solve the problem or uh, and we talked to through a bunch of them the answer is really clear when you're level-headed and clear-eyed but in the moment of crisis you're all panicky and the lizard brain takes over and and you're you're saying, hey, you know, I, I've got to make payroll. How do I manage this cash, this terrible situation? But then we can zoom out and say, you know what? When I was even keeled, I said I should just do the refund. It suddenly made that decision so much easier. And the stress lifts away, your people follow you better, and the outcome for the customer is better. So that like taking the time to think through, even in a small way, a very critical matter can save you a ton of heartache in the moment of crisis.
1: No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And I feel like so many companies, especially if you have other co-founders, it's hard to even bring up the conversation to say, you know what, we should have these hard conversations early on, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it is, it's
3: really hard. And it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the you no know, the the blunt, easy way to put it is people often get it wrong, like what they think they're going to do. So, right. you know, like having both of your founders ask those questions, think through it, if you have really clear answers and you get to that moment of crisis and in the moment it, it's not working, people aren't following through on what they said, it actually makes it way easier to resolve the situation because the disconnect just jumps out so clearly. Whereas without that, you get stuck in this terrible, terrible cycle of Like you're interpreting situations differently you care about what's fair but if you know how you've committed to behaving and then you get to the end game and things fall apart the the split like where the gap is just becomes so apparent
1: no i I think that's actually really good advice so is there anything else that you would maybe recommend to somebody that's either wanting to be a salesperson or be an entrepreneur because i think in a lot of cases you're one in the same (laughs) <laughs> it's
3: they're so similar uh actually I, I love the way you phrased it up because uh the advice i would give is they are there's very similar skills but you cannot miss the fundamental differences and the one example i'll point to is the role of being an entrepreneur means you can sell and have to sell differently um If I call somebody up on the phone and I say like, Hey, Kevin founder, I've got this cool product. I think it can help you out. Can I pick your brain for a couple of minutes? It's a way more positive conversation, but if I call you up and I say, Hey, Kevin, I'm a sales rep. I got this product that I think you can help with. It just feels different. So yeah, similar skills, but the, the social dynamic, the social contract ends up being very different. So you can transfer skills, but but if you fill those two roles, uh, you gotta be able to wear different hats.
1: No, I I think that's actually, Really good advice, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Uvaro, and any other links you want to mention?
3: Totally. Uh, Folks can hit us up at uvaro U-V-A-R-O dot com. Uh, And if anyone wants to connect with me directly, I'm on most social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, at uh, Joseph Fung, all one word, jam together.
1: Perfect, Joseph. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man.
3: Hey, thanks, Kevin. Chat soon.
1: Thank you. Okay. Bye. Cool.
0: What a nice guy. Yeah, super
1: nice. And like, how he talks is like, perfect.
0: It is.
2: He should be on the radio. He should be like a regular on the radio or something. Yeah.
0: He's very precise in his speaking as well, which I am jealous of. As I, as we, as it gets closer. Well, as we've done even the preambles and stuff, I think to myself, "Wow, I'm really not very good at speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I only speak one language, and I'm not very good at it." But he's, yeah, he could speak. His his speech is wonderful. Speech is wonderful. So he's, um, very, he's very
2: good presenting. I imagine he is a great presenter. And yeah. you know what? I I think it also ties into. What they're doing as well, because um, I was watching some of their their like his their videos on their site and his presentation. So it was, I it was it, it was exactly like that, like just the way he presented, the way he worked your way through it. it it's I, I wonder how much it's based on the training they're doing.
0: Yeah. I think it's so interesting. I loved how he's he starts off just doing something because it's hard, which obviously he has kind of a and even just his approach to sales. He's got he's got a, an analytical kind of brain, mm-hmm. and so you know, that side of his brain is obviously well developed. But the fact that that sort of the story arc goes into being a more patient person and and story is part of these things and these you know the other side of the brain uh kinds of things really kick in for him and and how that's really i don't know kind of shaped his own journey i i I just thought that was all really fascinating and kind of encouraging
2: yeah i think i i'm struck by his his emotional intelligence yeah and empathy he talked about empathy and in the in the interview i thought that was very insightful
1: yeah no i thought i thought it was really interesting it's always kind of fascinating how somebody like that that's taking an industry that's been around forever and kind of coming at it with new tactics and a new angle and and making it i guess kind of different than how it's traditionally done
2: and once again stories stories are so important
0: yeah it's interesting
2: yeah, you know, he didn't say Zig
0: Ziglar in the pregnant pause. I'm disappointed by that. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorites. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit Learner with two L's at www.learnerco. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.